You're listening to Brits in the Big Apple, the podcast that celebrates the cultural connections between the UK and New York. I'm your host, British diplomat, Hannah Young. Jess Gillam is an amazing saxophonist who has just played her first concert at the iconic Carnegie Hall in New York. Jess has been forging her own adventurous path since she shot to fame in 2016, becoming the first saxophonist to reach the finals of the BBC Young Musician, aged 17, and was the youngest ever soloist to perform at the last night of the proms. As well as performing around the world, including in the US, Jess is a presenter on TV and radio, becoming the youngest ever presenter for BBC Radio 3 with the launch of her own weekly show, This Classical Life. Her debut album was listed in the Times Top 100 Albums of 2019. In fact, both her albums reached number one in the UK classical music charts. She's won a Classic Brit Award, has been nominated for the Times Breakthrough Award and was given an MBE in our late Queen's birthday 2021 for services to music. Jess is passionate about inspiring and bringing joy to people through music. And during lockdown, she formed the Virtual Scratch Orchestra, inviting musicians of any standard to come together to play music virtually with her. Over 2,000 people from around 30 different countries took part across the two projects, playing a huge range of instruments. I had the privilege to hear Jess play at Carnegie Hall with my eight-year-old daughter, who is currently uh, learning to play the saxophone. Afterwards, my daughter said, I want to play like Jess. She made the sax sound like nothing I've ever heard before. I'm hoping Jess might also now inspire her to practice a little bit more, but we shall see. Jess, welcome to Brits and the Big Apple. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Let's start with your childhood. Did you grow up in a musical family? So my dad was a drummer, is still a drummer uh, in an indie rock band. And my mum wasn't musical at all, but it was a household that loves music. We were all, always had music on. And uh, I usually ask for the classical music to be turned off, which is ironic now. <laughs> <laughs> there was a definite love for music. And how did you start learning the saxophone? What Was that your first instrument or did you go through a range of instruments before you levelled on the sax? I think I'd done some, a recorder club at school before I'd picked up the saxophone. Amazing. <laughs> Classic introduction. Um, but then I wasn't planning on learning a musical instrument. It wasn't something that I'd really thought about but I had to go to work twice a week with my dad and he was teaching at a carnival centre in Cumbria there you could do stilt walking dance costume making samba drums or saxophone and I'd tried everything else out they were all free workshops at this community centre and then tried the saxophone and I think I was really lucky to make a sound straight away because then I was kind of hooked and I, I loved it from then. And how old were you at that point? Seven. I was seven then. Wow. So much as my daughter. It's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. There's hope for her yet. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And it's a great age to start a saxophone because you're just about the the right size physically to to like hold it properly and pick it up. So, yeah. And, And so you had lessons for a period of time. And at what point did you think, oh, actually, this is something that could be a career the carnival centre had like group lessons. There would be three or four of us and we would play together. I slowly learned to read music. 
music and although my mum wasn't musical at all I can remember her helping me to read it just by trying to learn at the same time so she could show me and learning all the rhymes for how to read music on manuscript and then I think when I was about probably 11 or 12 I started to take it a little bit more seriously and practice properly and realized it was something I loved but there was never a moment where I thought okay this is my career it just kind of there was never really anything else which was yeah and now I'm here (laughs) yeah that's amazing am I right in saying that your parents own a tea shop as well yes in Ulverston yeah in Cumbria and and for some of our readers who may not have been to Cumbria or, or even Ulverston just describe describe your childhood describe the setup and the tea shop and what what that atmosphere was like yeah so Ulverston is kind of it's an amazing town because it's it's a traditional market town, a traditional English market town with cobbled streets and still has a market every two weeks and the local farmers bring their things in. But then at the same time, it's also strangely progressive. It was the first ever place to have a lantern festival, to have the welfare state and the welfare state home building is in Ulverston at the Lantern House. So it was kind of a, a juxtaposition of these that tradition and forward thinking. Um, and I grew up being a a shop kid uh, working in the cafe working in the shop and I used to waitress there and save up money to have saxophone lessons and and buy saxophones and and go on courses and it was a a really strong community which I think is why I love trying to encourage young musicians into music now because it's another strong community and like that sense of being with people and being part of something was just how I grew up and I thought the whole world existed like that yeah (laughs) what kind of a reaction do you get when you go back to Alverston now it's it is amazing I, like you walk through the town and you, everybody knows everybody so you walk through the town you say hello hello and so it'll take you half an hour to walk down the street because someone will say oh, I saw your concert last week or I saw you were playing there and it, it's it's amazing they're so supportive and it's yeah such a, a great place to come from that's lovely and Cumbria is one of the most beautiful parts of the UK oh it is it's stunning <laughs> and and tell me a little bit more about the saxophone as an instrument and and one of the things that I was really struck by listening to your concert at Carnegie Hall and and it's something that my daughter picked up is that people have a a sense of what a jazz saxophone sounds like for example but but you have such range and and actually at times it almost sounded like I was listening to an oboe or a flute or I mean it was absolutely incredible I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you see your instrument and and how you use it to create different sounds and and you know the range that you've you've managed to get out of it I think it is it's such a special instrument because it can mimic those instruments but then its core sound is also so unique and it was designed originally by Adolf Sachs to be a military instrument so to play written music in military bands and it was part of a competition for who could designed the loudest outdoor instrument so it was designed to be this brash loud instrument but not to play jazz it was to play classical written music and then it kind of got adopted by jazz and dance music and grew up and got its roots there and its history there and now it kind of has this strange identity that can sit between lots of different styles and that's the thing I love about it is you can place different music next to each other and the saxophone can take it it can be your guide through 
all of music really so it's yeah you can get away with a lot with the instrument play both classical and non-classical music and this is probably a really mean question to ask you but do you have a preference in terms of the type of music that you really enjoy playing to me in my mind they're not separated for me that's what music is the thing that goes beyond the boxes and the labels and the words and that's why it has such a powerful potential to to reach people and connect with people and so I when I play for instance last night in the concert when I played the piece by Barbara Thompson which is essentially a jazz piece and then played the Telemann of course there are some like different technical things you have to think about but the actual intent behind them is the same so in a way they're kind of the same thing for me if that makes sense. No it does and that's a really good challenge actually because I think sometimes certain types of music when you put labels on them can feel more aloof and more off-putting and I guess classical music in particular talked before on this uh, podcast about the the need for the democratization of classical music in particular so um, you know I I completely agree with you I think putting labels on it is probably unhelpful because as you say ultimately it's notes on a page that somebody is picking up and you know putting their own stamp on yeah, absolutely. And then our job as a performer is to try and pick those notes up and make them colourful and, and tell the story of them. The root of music is to connect with people, and that might be through trip-hop and synths and pop music, or it might be through a bassoon and a piano. And But the essence of it is this connection and the, the kind of triangle of connection between this abstract thing, the composer and the performer and the audience. And I think that's why it, that's why we love it because we can't describe it. We can't put a word on it. I love that. And you've had such an incredible journey over a relatively short period of time. Are there any particular pivot points or kind of aha moments where you feel like your career has taken a particular turn uh, or, you know, things have stepped up in a different way for you? When I got to the final of BBC Musician that was a a moment that kind of changed accelerated everything that I was that I was doing um and then signing a record deal and um each of those kind of steps but usually it's the small realizations actually that are usually probably to do with the music that have felt like the biggest internal changes so the, the moment that you realize um yes, you can play that music or just because I wasn't brought up in the classical music tradition doesn't mean I can't find a place in that space on things like that. And they're usually the internal things that usually don't talk about that are the kind of pivot points that where you think, okay, no, I think I can play the saxophone and I'll I'll try and share it. (laughs) (laughs) And, And other artists writing pieces for you as well, which is incredible. I mean, Tell us a little bit about that. And you you picked picked certainly one of them in your Carnegie concert. Yeah, it's always so exciting to have new pieces to play by friends or composers that I've loved. And it's something really important for the saxophone as well, because it's a relatively young instrument to keep building on its repertoire and keep adding to its legacy. The first moment you receive the the manuscript and you receive the music for the first time, it's like one of the most exciting things you think what have they written how have they thought about the saxophone so I I really love playing new premieres and commissions that's amazing I wanted to talk a little bit about your passion for inspiring and motivating young people into um, music and you know you're you're clearly 
a role model and I saw my own daughter's eyes light up when she saw you on the stage. Maybe let's start by talking a little bit about some of the challenges that young people face to picking up an instrument, then subsequently having a career in music. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there are challenges right from the the outset in that music in schools is underfunded and undervalued quite a lot of the time. We put our focus on the STEM subjects, on science and technology and maths and English, and actually the importance of the arts and the more abstract subjects are undervalued and as sometimes seen as a luxury or an add-on to an education whereas really if we think about it from a human point of view they should be central to it because they are how we're going to have the new inventions of technology and they're how we will have the next generation of creative scientists and thinkers but also how we'll have the next generation of citizens who are empathetic and able to communicate and relate to other children to other people it's kind of goes outside the skill set of being able to play an instrument and it's more about living in the world and I think to not have access to to those kinds of subjects or for those subjects to not be valued in school is really it's a shame talk a little bit about the the power of music as well I mean it's you know have written essays about it but from your experience what have you seen in terms of the way that music can can help you know particularly young people for me the the most special experiences are where I've played a concert and in my head I might be so tied up with maybe the technical aspects or thinking about the intonation with the piano and then you're brought back to the reality at the end of the concert when you go out and meet the audience and you might see a young girl like I met your daughter last night you might see a young person say oh I come and I started the saxophone because I saw you play it or I have been learning the saxophone and I'd never seen a girl play it before and now I've seen you whatever those kind of experiences but also the moments where people of any age say I was having a really bad day, but then I came to the concert and I've got hope. That there was a um, very old lady that came to a concert once and she said, I've not really got anything left to live for. You know, I don't I don't really have any family. My friends have passed away. And now I've come and music has given me something. This concert has given me something full of hope and joy. And that's, I think, at the essence of what we do. We give people an alternative experience, an alternative reality that they can come and exist in. And of course, we have to have all of the musical things in place, but really it's just about people relating to each other, which is, it's really beautiful. <laughs> That's lovely. And and I can completely see that. And as I say, you know, even just the way that it affected my daughter last night to, you know, did want to go back and pick up her sex phone, although it was quite late. And I said, no, <laughs> I got to school the next day, but I can completely see that. And I mean, how does it feel being a role model? I know that's such a loaded word, but how does that feel for you, you know, still age 24? So you're still quite young yourself, <laughs> but but also, you know, in this in this place where you actually have influence and can speak authoritatively about subjects like this. What does that mean for you? I think for me, when I was growing up as a young saxophone player, I didn't see any women other than it, it definitely not in the classical field. There was Barbara Thompson in the jazz field, who's an incredible player. But I didn't see anyone who I could really relate to on stage. And even just the presence of that person hopefully makes a difference and and can inspire other young players to think, okay, I've got I belong there as well. I can have um a say in what happens there. But I think 
the main thing is is to be kind I think that's my main aim when I go into a school and and play to children or I'll meet them in a workshop to say this is what music can do and try and share it if you become a great musician if you if you have this gift play to your family play to your friends play with each other because the kindness that music can instill is is one of the things that I don't think we really think about that much but it can make you see the world differently and relate to people differently through playing this kind of weird organization of sound that somehow we're all connected through music but it really can make people kinder I think. I loved what you're saying before about being being visible we we worked with a, an organization called the Gina Davis Institute and their motto is if she can see it she can be it and it's yeah. all about exactly as you say young girls you know anyone uh, actually seeing people who are that step further doing something that they love and enjoy with kindness and the inspiration that, that brings and just being there is is yeah. enough for the, them to see that they can be it yeah <laughs> and I loved reading about your lockdown project can you can you tell us a bit more about the inspiration behind that and and how you found that it sounded like an incredible experience for everybody who got involved in it <laughs> it was I think we went into the lockdown in March I think in the UK and 2020 or whenever it was I just felt sad for all the young players who weren't getting to have those experiences in school where you play in the school bands and school orchestras and you're part of that massive sound um, because for me they were some of the most formative experiences the the moments I got to play with other people you learned from them you realized that it was something bigger than you that you could connect with other people on stage and off stage I thought they're not going to have the chance to do that they can't just go and mess about in the music room and make friends and make bands so we published the parts to pieces online to join the virtual orchestra and I really didn't expect that many people would take part I thought maybe, you know we might have 50 people who want to learn this piece and be in it and then I could see the number of people downloading the files for the parts on the first night and on the first night over 700 people had down wow. downloaded these parts and I just thought I didn't have any anybody in place to help me I was just going to put it in place <laughs> I was going to stitch everything together and thankfully we had an amazing team who pulled it together to see that number of people from all over the world actually people in America Canada in Asia and mainly from the UK but all over coming together through music was just like wow this is what it can do it can be the the glue for people to to come together yeah and you had an amazing age range I was reading as well yeah unbelievable my my night my nana was playing jingle bells in our Christmas version she was 94 (laughs) and then our youngest was four so it was pretty amazing brilliant (laughs) wow that's that's amazing yeah how many people can you get in a zoom room you're probably uh, (laughs) not enough yeah exactly (laughs) what a great idea though and you you performed in prestigious concert halls with world-class orchestras around the world are there any particular concerts or moments that have felt particularly special for you last night has to be one that was a dream since I was so young so then to realize it and do it was amazing but the concerts that stick with me usually are the very unexpected ones maybe in a small church where I'm playing a recital and and it's the impact that you have on the individual level. And of course, it's amazing to go to um, play with the world's great orchestras and, and be in concert halls. But it's when you get to see the actual 
impact of music and talk to the people afterwards and they'll tell you a story of when their granddaughter played saxophone and it reminded them of that and it sets off this memory chain that's when you think this is why I do it this is this is why we play and I was going to ask you about Carnegie Hall and and you had a a really amazing interesting choice of pieces and a real range actually I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about how you curated that why you made the choices that you made yeah it's always funny because with the way that the classical music industry works you have to choose your program so far in advance so I probably chose that maybe one or two years ago and then you come to the day and you think okay why did I think that but and I got last night and I was like oh I wish I'd done it in a slightly different order but then I I spend a long time on putting programs together it's something I really kind of take a lot of pleasure in in trying to make it an experience from beginning to end so yesterday was my original idea was kind of coming out we were in the pandemic when I put it together somewhere quite quiet and solemn into something kind of full of ecstasy and and joy and it's always important for me to try and show the range of the saxophone as well so we had pieces by Meredith Monk, Philip Glass, Iana Witter-Johnson, Telemann and Barbara Thompson, Piazzolla and trying to show what the saxophone can do and all of its different facets. I mean, and you did it incredibly well. It was amazing. (laughs) uh, Yeah. And you're currently on tour at the moment. Uh, You've got some other US dates, I think. You're you're going back to Europe and and then coming back to the US, I think. What, What does the plan look like for you over the next couple of months? I'm here for a little while longer. We go to San Diego tomorrow and then back over here to Princeton and then I'm touring in in Europe until Christmas um, with my ensemble and orchestras and recitals there and then I'm back to the US in February to give the premiere of Anna Klein's new saxophone concerto which I'm very excited about. Wow yeah. where are you going to be playing that? Um, with Detroit Symphony Orchestra. Amazing yeah. yeah gosh and how do you find being on tour? Is that <sighs> It's a whirlwind. <laughs> <laughs> It's and it's the it's amazing. Usually I travel on my own, which is quite a strange thing. But you you're always with the music, which is a kind of weird companion. Sometimes <laughs> you kind of know why you're there. Getting to visit new places and see the culture and how people interact differently in different countries is fascinating. I love it. But I miss the main thing. The main thing I've missed in America is tea. Like, oh. It's just not it's not the same (laughs) no no well there's an entire twitter thread about the difference between brits and americans making tea the other day i I was at one of the concerts the other day and the lady said to me would you like any tea or coffee i said yes please uh please can i have a tea and she said would you like it in the microwave or the kettle and i didn't even know it was possible in the microwave I mean, it's actually quite a military way of doing it, putting it in the microwave. But yeah, yeah, there are there are certain things that we've managed to bring across, and there are other things that we're still we're still you know in in negotiations about. But yeah, tea is definitely one of them. Just in terms of kind of aspirations, dreams, future achievements. If you were to look back in twenty years' time on this moment going forward, how would you want it to have played out? It's a really interesting question and one that I've been thinking about today, actually, because I had such an experience last night and it's been a dream for so long to play at Carnegie Hall. Is then you think, okay, what now? (laughs) And you have to think, but for me, I'm always working on looking for new projects, new ideas. So I want to create 
the best possible experience for the audience when they come to a concert. So whether I can collaborate with other art forms, multimedia type concerts and really create a show for people and an experience for people and keep commissioning and also how I can best share music with the young people and if there's anything that I can do to make sure that they get a chance to experience it. But yeah, in 20 years time, looking back, I hope I get to play Carnegie Hall again. <laughs> well, if last night is only to go by, they should be booking you uh, for a regular <laughs> slot. Jess, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's truly inspirational. Thank you for bringing such a range of beautiful music through the saxophone to to your audience and we wish you all the very best on your ongoing tour thank you for coming on brits in the big apple thank you so much you're listening to brits in the big apple brought to you by the british consulate in new york if you'd like to hear more about the work of the british consulate please follow us on twitter or instagram at uk in new york thank you for listening